Welcome to the emdocs.net podcast. I'm Britt Long, and I'm joined by Manny Singh, co-founder and editor-in-chief for emdocs.net. We are proud to introduce a new podcast for emdocs.net, where we will discuss our key posts and takeaways. Manny, how can our readers get access to the podcast? Well, Britt, the readers can access the podcast from our homepage on emdocs.net and subscribe in iTunes. We have also included a summary of all these posts with respective links for further reading. Uh, what posts are we going to start with today, Britt? Together, we're going to discuss some vital aspects of the novel coronavirus-19 illness. The first post is something that is often underappreciated in the ED, personal protective equipment, PPE. This post published on March 25th looks at the pearls of PPE use. We really have to protect ourselves during this pandemic so we can take care of our patients and, more importantly, not put our loved ones in jeopardy. First, understanding how the virus can be transmitted is important. It is primarily transmitted through droplet transmission, but it can also be picked up by contact with fomites, where the virus can live on surfaces from hours to days depending on the surface composition. When an aerosolization occurs, may be through intubation or BVM, it can be transmitted through airborne. This is key in choosing the type of mask when there is droplet versus airborne precaution. For any airborne isolation, you have to wear a properly fitted N95 mask. If you have a beard, consider shaving. Otherwise, you will need a PAPR, a power air purifying respirator. Finally, and most importantly, the post-exam donning and doffing procedures is crucial. There are so many ways to do this, but doing it with a partner is key as they can guide you and keep you calm. If you don't have one, do so looking in a mirror if possible. The CDC has one of your best resources for this and is listed in the post. My favorite part of the post comes at the end, which has some great points that you can use for your next shift. First, limit exposure to the patient and limit the number of providers in the room. Remove any watches and jewelry on the upper extremities before starting your shift. Next, use a constructed checklist and a partner to assist in donning and doffing, which Manny, you discussed. If no partner is available, use a checklist and don and doff in front of a mirror if able. Ensure the cuff of the gown is tucked into the gloves. The gloves should cover the gown and there should be no gaps. Longer cuffed gloves are preferable as they allow you to remove the gown and gloves in a single motion. Next, aerosol generating procedures like intubation are high risk. For these procedures, wear a respiratory mask like an N95 mask with a hood or surgical cap. Make sure to sanitize before donning and before each step of the process when doffing. Clean your gloved hands before the whole doffing procedure. Finally, have a decontamination process for when you leave your shift to include cleaning your phone and badge. Manny, what's next? Well, Britt, the second COVID post we're covering today was one that Summer Chavez and you wrote that evaluates the new Society of Critical Care Medicine guidelines for the sick COVID-19 patient. This guideline provides some key information on how to manage these difficult patients. The guideline is open access, so if you have the time, please go to the SCCM site. We aren't going to cover all 50 recommendations here, but there are several that stand out. Britt, what were the points that stuck out to you? My first major point is linking back to the PPE post, specifically when using video laryngoscopy and a respirator mask for aerosol generating procedures. Also, the most experienced provider should intubate. My next big takeaway was the resuscitation component. 
The recommended target map is 60 to 65 with a conservative fluid resuscitation strategy with balanced crystalloids rather than normal saline. When it comes to vasopressors, the evidence is unfortunately very poor. The vasopressor of choice is norepinephrine, but rather than increasing the infusion to reach a target map, vasopressin should be added. If cardiac dysfunction is present, add dobutamine. For those with refractory shock, hydrocortisone can be administered. Manny, there was a lot on ventilation in these guidelines. What did you take away from this section? Well, Brett, we really need to consider ventilatory support in these patients who can become hypoxic rather quickly, but do so in a safe way that prevents exposure to the frontline providers. The guidelines recommend a stepwise approach highlighted in the algorithm seen in the post. Start with some oxygen supplementation through nasal cannula if they're hypoxic less than 90%, and don't try titrating higher than 96%. If oxygen therapy is not working, consider starting high-flow nasal cannula. These guidelines do mention a trial of non-invasive positive pressure ventilation if high-flow nasal cannula is not available, but this should be done safely in a negative isolation room with proper viral filters and, of course, safe PPE. There's a lot of great ventilation airway advice with nuances from Josh Farkas and Scott Weingard from MCRIT, so I would highly recommend you visit their site. The best practice right now is to closely monitor the respiratory status of these COVID-19 patients and prepare to intubate early if any worsening. Finally, there was a section on therapies. For mechanically ventilated patients with COVID-19 and respiratory failure, but no ARDS, they suggest against a routine use of systemic corticosteroids. For those with ARDS, they suggest using systemic corticosteroids. You may have heard of a prior World Health Organization recommendation to avoid NSAIDs, though this has been removed. The Society of Critical Care Medicine recommends using acetaminophen for temperature control. And for mechanically ventilated patients with COVID-19 and respiratory failure, they suggest using empiric antibiotics. They don't make clear recommendations concerning hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, but recent data suggests that these medications are not efficacious. Thanks, Britt. Now that rounds out our summary of the key EM docs posts. Thanks for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode. Feel free to comment on our site and let us know if you have any feedback. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. Mm-hmm.